uh, in this series called Radical Generosity. We want to be generous people that are willing, ready, and able to give in whatever way God calls us to give. We've looked at God's mercy with regards to generosity. We've looked at our relationships. We've looked at hospitality. Last week, we looked at wealth. And this morning, we're going to look at radical generosity with regards to power, particularly in positional power. And we're going to look at a character in the Bible that many of us know very well from our childhood stories. But it's a man of very small stature that used his political, social, economic power in response to the gospel message that came to him. And his conversion then stands as a model for us as we respond to God's work in our lives, giving sacrificially, being willing to extend ourselves to others. So if you haven't already, turn to the gospel of Luke chapter 19. That's where we'll rest this morning. I always like looking at the context of passages as we're looking at them. And the Gospel of Luke is interesting because way back in chapter 9 and verse 51, it says that Jesus set his face towards Jerusalem. And so from that point in the you know, early, early to mid part of the Gospel, Jesus is setting his face towards Jerusalem. And we know what, what is he doing in Jerusalem? He's dying. But every story from the end of chapter 9 all the way to the end of the gospel is about Jesus' face going in the direction of doing what the Father had called him to do, which is sacrifice his life so that you and I might live. And so we see this journey from the northern area down through the Jordan River now to the city of Jericho. In the days and weeks to come after this, Jesus will make his way up into Jerusalem. He will stand before a jury. He will be judged as a criminal. He will hang on on the cross and ultimately win justification for all of us, the thing we celebrate most. But sandwiched in the middle of this is a a multitude of little stories and vignettes about this and that and the other thing. Two of them are very well known from our childhood. Blind Bartimaeus is at the very end of chapter 18. This morning, I'm going to coin a new phrase, and we're going to talk about zealous Zacchaeus. So if you want to look with me in Luke chapter 19, just for context, I want to look back up into chapter 18. We're going to start in verse 35 together. As Jesus drew near to Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. And hearing a crowd going by, he inquired what this meant. And they told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And those who were in front rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he came near, he asked him, What do you want me to do for you? And he said, Lord, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. And he entered Jericho and was passing through, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, and he was a chief tax collector and was rich. He was seeking to see who who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not, because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead, and he climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried, and he came down received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. 
And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Let's pray. Lord in heaven, we come to you and we're thankful that we can come to your word. We think, we're thankful that we have copies of it, that we can read it, that we can look at it in many different ways. And we know, Father, that it is the word of God. It's your word to us. It's your instruction to us. It's your example to us. It reveals to us your nature and your character. It reveals to us what you want us to do and how you want us to live and how you want us to think. In these pages, Father, we learn about Jesus. We learn about his life, his death, his resurrection. We learn about the life that he modeled for us. And God, we learn about men like Zacchaeus, who are examples to us of what it means to respond generously to the gospel message. I pray, Father, that you, that you would speak through us this morning, that you would open our eyes, that you'd open our hearts, that you'd open our ears to hear, to see, to know, to understand all that you have for us so that we might be changed because of the time we spent here. And we pray that in Christ's precious name. Amen. Zacchaeus is uh, a wee little man. A wee little man was he, right? <laughs> he climbed right up in that sycamore tree. How many of you are singing right now? Because the Lord, he wanted to see, right? And as a savior, he was passing that way. Jesus, he looked up in the tree and he said, Zacchaeus, come on down because I'm going to your house today. Woo, I'm going to your house today, right? We can't help but sing the song of this man. But have we ever actually looked at his ma this man and saw his life and saw what we learn about him, what we don't know about him, how he responded and why he's an example? That's what I want to do this morning. And we see three different pieces in this story. We see a searching man turned into a sought-after man turned into a saved man. So first, let's look at Zacchaeus as a searching man. We don't know a lot about this man, and that's what's interesting to me. But what we do know about Zacchaeus makes it very, very clear that Zacchaeus is not the type of person that you would put center stage on a story about conversion and about generosity. We learn that his name is Zacchaeus. Interestingly enough, his name means righteous one. It's kind of interesting and ironic all at the same time. He is not just a tax collector, but he is a chief tax collector. That means he's the boss of the tax collectors. He is the one responsible for extracting great taxes off of the people and making money hand over fist on top of it. He was not liked. He was not favored. He was not socially accepted, but he was very, very powerful because he was very, very rich. In the law, the, uh, the, the Jewish law, the tax collector was considered to be unclean. They were taught, the people were taught that a tax collector, you could assume that he has stolen and taken things from people around him in his quest for more and more power. If you were near a tax collector or friends with a tax collector or, heaven forbid, having a meal with a tax collector, you were assumed that you were just as guilty as the tax collector was. And so they lived in this social isolation bubble where they could go about their life untouched by the religious community because no one wanted to get near them. 
with the goal of them being so socially ostracized that, that, that it would be a deterrent from others to become a tax collector, but hopefully to bring a sense of shame that they would come out of that lifestyle. Zacchaeus apparently was wrestling with something because he was intrigued by this Jesus character and he was searching to find out who this man was. We learn about Zacchaeus. We learn about him being a chief tax collector. We learn about him being very, very rich. Luke states it very clearly at the end of chapter or verse two. He was a chief tax collector and he was rich. The only other piece of information we learn about him is that he was very short. And because he was short, he had a hard time with crowds. He has a hard time seeing over people. He was, uh, he was like the little wee little king in Shrek the musical. You know, he's just tiny, right? He needs somebody to prop him up and pick him up in order for him to, uh, to see things. That's a little bit of an exaggeration. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to go there. Zacchaeus was probably like six foot, you know, like a real shrimp. But Zacchaeus wanted to see Jesus. He was searching for Jesus. And I wonder sometimes, what was that day like? Had he heard that Jesus was coming into the area? Had he maybe even just hours before heard the stories about Bartimaeus being healed? And as Jesus is coming into Jericho, now he is triggering. Man, I've heard about Jesus. I kind of want to see him. How do I get to him? Is he, is he kind of looking at the lay of the land in the city and trying to figure out where Jesus might go and where he can stand to get the best vantage point? Kind of like we do when we're preparing for a parade. What was his day looking like going up to that moment? We don't know exactly, but we do know that he was very innovative and very persistent in his attempt to see this Jesus. Because as he realized that the crowds were gathering in front of him and he couldn't quite get a good look between the shoulders and the elbows, he said, why don't I race ahead, climb up this tree, and maybe I could catch a glimpse of this guy to see what kind of a person he is as he's passing by. The searching man becomes a sought-after man. Jesus coming into the crowd, he had just healed Bartimaeus. Bartimaeus was no doubt causing a stir in all the good ways as he's declaring God's goodness. And the chapter 18 ends with the people praising God because of it. So there's this, this kind of a murmuring in a good way, positive crowd as they're moving through Jericho. And Zacchaeus just wants to get a shot. Jesus had better things to do. I mean, the text said that he was passing through Jericho. Jericho was not a destination. Jericho was part of the journey onto Jerusalem. And of all the things that Jesus could have been doing that day, all the things that Jesus had on his agenda, the top of which, redeeming the entire world, Jesus takes a moment to stop at the base of a tree, look up at a tax collector, who was a social outcast and say, I must go to your house today. And we see in this a, an amazing picture of Christ. And we've seen it elsewhere in the gospels, how Christ takes moments to be interrupted for the sake of greater good. And he's willing to set aside his agenda for the moment so that he might interact with someone in particular, in particular ways for particular reasons. And in this case, he's wanting to interact with this man, this chief tax collector, this rich short, self-centered, powerful person. He takes him down from the tree. He says, I'm gonna go to your place today. But this is what Jesus does. Jesus is a seeker. The very end of this passage says in verse 10, for the son of man came to seek and to save 
the lost. That word for is always important. It's like one of those capstone words that you just want to grab. Luke wants us to know at the end of this story that the Son of Man came for this very reason. He came to seek and to save the lost. In fact, this seeking and saving is a theme throughout the Gospel of Luke. Back in chapter 15, we see three stories that are very well known, all three of them about seeking, all three of them pictures of God as the seeker. We see the parable of the lost sheep, where the shepherd leaves the 99 to go for the one. We see the parable of the lost coin, where the woman who loses this valuable necklace piece and, and busies for the rest of the day finding and searching for this coin, this valuable coin. And then the most famous probably of those three in chapter 15 is the parable of the lost son who takes his worldly goods from his father and goes out and wastes it. But the father's there patiently searching after. These are all pictures of the way that God is. These are all pictures of the way Christ is. Christ is a seeker. He seeks and he saves that which is lost. The greatest of all gospels, the gospel of Matthew, speaks about in Matthew chapter 9, that it's not the sick that Jesus came for, or excuse me, it's not the righteous that Jesus came for, but it's the sick. I came to call the righteous, I, I did not come to call the righteous, but the unrighteous, but the sinners. It's interesting that in each of these three situations, Luke chapter 19, Luke chapter 15, Matthew chapter nine, the audience are tax collectors and sinners. I'll let you go back and do the research on it. Tax collectors and sinners are the audience for all three of these stories. And here in Luke chapter 19, the Pharisees are unmentioned there in the middle of, of, of verse six and seven. They're grumbling because Jesus is spending time with these quote unquote sinners. But that's what God does. God seeks us when we're lost, when we're disconnected, when we're in darkness, when we don't know how to get out, when we don't know where to go, when we don't know how things are gonna be provided for, God is seeking us because he wants to bring us into fellowship. He wants to bring us into connection with himself. Zacchaeus, the searching man, became Zacchaeus, the sought after man. And through a powerful working of God, Zacchaeus became the saved man. Jesus says, today, Salvation has come to this house, verse 9. Today, salvation has come to this house. Interesting contrast. They were grumbling. They, the Pharisees. They, the religious leaders. They, the ones that thought that we should never interact with those tax collectors and those sinners. They were grumbling because Jesus once again was hanging out with the sinners. And as I read passages like this, I am reminded again that you and I need to relearn the art of bridging relationships with people that are not like us. We have lost the ability to befriend someone without becoming like them. Because inevitably we think, well, if I hang out with those bad people, you know, those Seminole fans, <laughs> I might become like one of them, you know? I might become like one of them. Take whatever topic it is out there. But what we've come to in our culture is that if I hang out with them, if I interact with them, if, heaven forbid, I laugh and, be, be, and have a, a fun time with them, then, then I'm going to begin living like them and acting like them and being like them, and then I'm going to be all lost. We need to rebuild this art of relationship 
that allows us to communicate with people that we disagree with in fundamental ways, but in such a way where there's still a mutual sense of respect and a, a mutual ability to influence. If we don't do this, we are going to be more and more isolated from a world that desperately needs the only source of life that they're looking for. So this is a great challenge for me personally in the life of Jesus, because if I'm not careful, I'm gonna be like the Pharisees all the time, grumbling, frustrated, judgmental, constantly condemning. But as the Pharisees are grumbling, Jesus is declaring, salvation has come to this house today because he also is a son of Abraham. And I asked myself, I wonder, what is it that Jesus saw? What is it that Jesus saw that allowed him to say this? Now, if you and I were asking this question, we would say, well, obviously Zacchaeus, uh, he admitted that he was a sinner. He believed that Jesus died on the cross for his sins and he confessed that. And therefore the ABCs were check, check, check. He's obviously born again, but we don't see the ABCs of salvation in here. We don't see any mention of Jesus dying on the cross. I'm not saying that that's not necessary in conversion. But what I think is interesting is Jesus sees into the heart of this man that responds to his invitation and he sees in that salvation and there is some fruit that comes out of that. And as we'll see, the fruit is generosity. A couple of weeks ago when I was talking about hospitality, I put these four words up on the screen for us to chew on with regards to generosity. That generosity is liberality. It is willingness to share. It's a heart issue. It's a willingness to be kind outwardly with our gifts or our time, talents, treasure, inconveniences, all of those. And it's doing so in abundance. That's what generosity is. I think that's what Jesus saw in Zacchaeus. He saw generosity. So let's look at the salvation fruit as what we can see in this passage in particular. First, there's a joyful reception. Zacchaeus, how many of you are tree climbers? How many of you used to be a tree climber? How many of you are afraid of heights? Okay, so we've got, got a good lay of the land here. I remember when I was a kid, my grandmother in uh, Phoenix, Arizona had grapefruit trees and she would harvest them every year. And I say she would harvest them. She would actually stand on the ground and we would climb up the trees, right? Up there, pulling the grapefruit, dropping them down, seeing if she could catch them. She played basketball when she was a kid. So she was really nimble with her hands, even into her 80s, pretty amazing. But we were up in the tree and it's way up there and you kind of get hidden from the world below, right? You can kind of get disconnected somehow. But... When Jesus looks up at Zacchaeus, and there was that moment in time where Zacchaeus says, Jesus, I have been, I've been waiting for this moment for some time. And sometime this morning, I decided that I was going to climb this tree because I wanted to see you because I knew you were passing by. And there's this moment of time where their eyes lock on each other. Imagine that for a minute. They're, they're locking eyes on each other, and Zacchaeus could, in his mind, be thinking, this guy's going to scold me for climbing this tree. This guy's going to make some offhanded comment. Who knows what this guy's going to say? All the crowds around him are going to start shaking the tree violently. But Jesus says, Zacchaeus, come down, hurry down, for I must go to your house today. And what does Zacchaeus do? He climbs down and he receives him. How? 
You've got the Bible in front of you. He receives him how? Joyfully. There's a joyful reception. Now think about it for a second. This isn't just a man saying, hey, uh, Zacchaeus, uh, where's the nearest Starbucks? Let's grab a coffee. I'll pay. I've got the app. This is not like a five-minute little, hey, let's sit down and chat for a little while. It's, it's Zacchaeus registering a request, and the request is Jesus plus 12 plus the other entourage coming to his house plus all of his friends for a meal and a stayover, right? This is like instant bed and breakfast right in this moment. And Zacchaeus doesn't say, man, it's going to really cost me. You know, I didn't really clean the house yet. I got to, let me try to send a, a, a parchment down to my wife to make sure she's okay with it. He immediately responds with joy. He says, yes, come. I want to give, I'm going to, I'm going to give of myself to you so that you might come into my house. There's a joyful reception that is part of what Jesus sees in this conversion moment. A heart that is willing joyfully to receive something and to sacrifice to attain it. In this joyful reception, I see a heart of sharing and I see a sense of being loose-handed with stuff. That Zacchaeus is willing to let it go. The second thing we see in Jesus or in Zacchaeus is an abundant provision. And we see this a little bit later on in the evening. I'm assuming they go to the house, they get the meal set up, they're all sitting around there, and somehow Zacchaeus stands up in the middle. And why does he stand up? Because he's short and no one would see him otherwise. No, probably not. He probably just wanted to get attention. He wanted to stand up and he wanted to make a statement publicly. And what does he say? He says, behold. The word behold happens twice here. The very beginning, when Luke introduces us to Zacchaeus, behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. Here, Zacchaeus stands up and he says, behold, Lord, half of my goods I give to the poor. Half of my goods I give to the poor. Did the poor earn anything? No. Did they deserve some handout from Zacchaeus? No. Did the poor wrong Zacchaeus in some way or did Zacchaeus wrong them in some way intentionally? There's no sense of that here. There's just seemingly an immediate sense of, I need to sacrifice myself for those that are less fortunate than I am. There's an awareness somehow in Zacchaeus' mind that he's going to give not just a little bit, but he's going to give half of what he has. If you've been going through this uh, uh, generosity devotional, back on day eight, there's a little statement there about John Newton. And it says that John Newton determined in his mind that he would figure out what a decent living was. Uh, the phrase is barely decent. Once he determined what a barely decent living wage was for himself, he gave 50% of everything else. Just think about that for a second. Think about what a barely decent income would be for you. And then think about what it would feel like to give 50% of everything else. That's a massive, abundant provision to others. And what we see in Zacchaeus is a man that, without provocation, without request, there was no ask. 
receives Jesus in and he says, Lord, I'm gonna give half of what I have to the poor. Just gonna give it. Amazing. Generous, radically in response to a conversion. The third thing we see is that there is a sacrificial restitution. And this is where Zacchaeus seems to remember what he has done wrong. Remember I said earlier that the assumption about a tax collector is that he was guilty. In this situation, Zacchaeus is aware of the fact that he is, and he wants to make it right. If, where is he? In verse, uh, continuing in verse eight. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, my suspicion is that if is theoretical. Because I have defrauded so many, because I can think of names and faces of people I see on a week-to-week, month-to-month basis that I know I have defrauded, because I know there are people that I have wronged personally and purposefully, I will restore it fourfold. So you got to let these numbers kind of sink on you for a minute. I have taken one, I will get four. Interestingly enough, these are very consistent with the Old Testament laws with regards to this. And so there's this sense of a man who was, was lawless now becoming lawful. King David, when he's confronted by the prophet Nathan, using this story about this man who has one lamb and there's a rich man who has a bajillion of them, And instead of sacrificing one of his bajillion lambs, he goes and he steals this one lamb. David says that man ought to pay fourfold for that sheep he stole. This is an example of Zacchaeus now kind of being responding with the same sense of, of righteous indignation, but pointed towards himself. If I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will give four times back. To me, these three things, this joyful reception, this abundant provision, and this sacrificial restitution are, are, are pictures of what a transformed heart does. And we've talked a lot about a lot of different things over these last uh, four weeks, and it will continue the next two weeks. But I know Pastor Bill would agree with me that our heart, our desire, our interest is not just that you would give money, time, whatever, Our interest is that your heart would be softened to want to give, that your heart would be in a place where it's it's bent into conformity with the very heart of God, which is a heart that wants to give. Remember those words, kindness, liberality, willingness, abundance. Our heart ought to be like that because that's what God's heart is like. And Zacchaeus models for us what the salvation fruit in this situation looks like. Now, this is, an, an exo- is not an exhaustive list of salvation fruit, but at least in Zacchaeus's model, joyful, abundant, sacrificial. And as I've been chewing through this lo- list and just kind of look at it with me together, we can, in our minds, look at them and say, well, joyful reception is just about how I use my house. And... Abundant provision is just how I handle the poor. And sacrificial restitution is only applicable if I have, if I have hurt somebody. I want you to kind of step back and look at those three things and think, what would it look like to be joyfully receptive with your time or with your personal convenience? 
Cameron and I were talking out this week, trying to think about how, how to remember this. And we were thinking in terms of our stuff, our schedule and our self. With regards to your schedule, how willing are you to be receptive to the needs and, and uh, uh, wants of the people around you? Are you aware, are you alert to their needs? Or are you just so wrapped up in your own place that you have no, there's no, there's no margin to be receptive? With your things, the things you hold on to, the things that you paid for, the things that you bought, the things that you've collected, are you willing to share those with the community around you if needs be? I think the biggest challenge for us with regards to receiving others is our own personal convenience, our sense of self. And I think it is so comfortable and so easy to live a life that is just based on my comfort. I don't, I don't wanna be pushed around. I don't wanna be knocked off my regular routine. I just wanna kinda go with my own flow and I don't want you to mess with me. If you maybe kinda flow into my, my lane, then man, I'm, I'm more than willing to help, but don't ask me to kind of go off course for you. A heart that is generous, that is joyfully receptive, is willing to give stuff, schedule, and self for the sake of those things that are coming at us and doing it joyfully. What about the needs of others? Sometimes we have needs coming at us, but sometimes people have needs that we are just not aware of because we're not alert to them. Have you ever stood in the line at... Walmart or Target or shopping center, wherever you shop, we can go many different directions with that. But instead of looking at your phone, instead of reading anything around you, just kind of stop and look at people. Hold the laughter, because that's a fun thing about looking at people, but just watch people and think about every single life is impacted by something. Pastor Bill talked about the waves and the currents of life. But with every single one of those person, there's persons, there's, there's loss, there's pain, there's loneliness, there's hurt, there's joy, there's sadness, there's celebration, there's grief. There's people that are right on the edge of not being able to hold on anymore. And you and I are so fixated on about to pay for something that we don't take a moment just to survey the scene and see what's going on. I don't know, I don't want to be somebody who is just so me-focused that I miss opportunities to, uh, to willingly give for the sake of the people around me. I'm not just talking about money. I'm talking about myself. How do I give myself to the needs of the people that are around me? How am I keeping myself in a position where I'm available to help those who are around me? And if, you've, if you're in the room and you've wronged somebody, Zacchaeus' example for you is a charge to go make it right and not just barely right. Go make it abundantly right, even to your own sacrifice. Whether it's with stuff, whether it's with your schedule, whether it's with yourself, you are to make it right now quickly before you continue worshiping. I love that example where Jesus gives that, uh, that if you're bringing your, your offering to the altar to worship and you realize that there is a wrong between you and a brother, don't even go worship. Go make it right. Here Zacchaeus shows us what sacrificial restitution looks like. 
a heart that is sensitive to the ways that I've wronged others and a heart that is willing to step out then and say, okay, I'm gonna make this right, but I'm not gonna make it a little bit right. I'm gonna make it four times better, four times right. Is that even a phrase? I don't know. But I'm gonna improve upon this situation more and more and more and more. Not because I'm told to, but because my heart wants to. God has called us to be people who are radically generous. Zacchaeus stands as a forever model for us of joyful reception, of abundant provision, of sacrificial restitution, and we need to go and live likewise. Let's pray. Father, we commit ourselves to you because this is not comfortable for us. This is not the way we want to live. This is not, this is not the way we live. But I pray that you would move in our hearts to make us the types of people that are they're willing, that we're ready, that we're in a place of, of kindness giving. Pray, Father, that you would do that work in us, that we might be not just individuals, but that we might be a community that lives for the sake of your gospel outward. Pray that you would help us in this, Lord, that we might bring the utmost glory to you and your son. We pray that in Christ's precious name, amen.